Growth is gradual, and there's no shortcuts. Pastor Ed Ray explains. Growth is hard to see in the moment. If you try and look at your life this week from last week, you can't see a difference. Mushrooms grow up overnight. Oak trees take longer. Your faith, my faith, takes a lifetime in reality, but you can't see it as you look back over a year or two or more. So servants of God grow slowly but surely. And also there are no shortcuts to more faith, to growing faith. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. Hello and welcome to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. You picked a great day to join us as we begin a new book of the Bible today, 2 Thessalonians. This important epistle provides insight on how our faith grows and how love abounds. Growing faith and abounding love. Now that's something we should all desire. And we'll learn what God uses to bring that about in our lives. Pastor Ed Ray begins today's lesson by reading our scripture. Again, we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, brothers, and sisters, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly. And the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment or the justice of God, that you may be counted or made worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified with his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy or count should be made you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we ask that you speak to us from these verses, strong as they are, that we might grow and understand your love more clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Faith that grows and love that abounds, Paul is talking about here in the second letter to the Thessalonians. A mom sent this to me about faith. She said, at a wedding I recently attended, the priest called for a moment of silence to remember the faithful dead. 
As the church grew quiet, a little boy sitting in front of me turned to his father and said excitedly, Dad, you have some of their albums. (laughs) No, that would be the Grateful Dead. That's something different. (laughs) But it's talking about faith, so I had to throw it in here this morning. It seemed to fit. I read something else this week that reminded me of the old Pony Express little article and the story of great sacrifice and dedication, mostly of the young writers that did all the work. The Pony Express was a private, you'll remember, express company that carried mail by horseback from St. Joseph, Missouri to San Francisco, 2,000 miles. And uh, it was very expensive. It didn't last very long because of the cost, $2.50 an ounce, which in today's money is more than $200 an ounce. It took Lincoln's inaugural address 10 days to go from St. Joseph to Sacramento. It was only when, of course, you could do it in 10 days when the weather and the horses and the Indians allowed it to happen. The Pony Express was operated for 17 months and it closed in 1861 when the telegraph line replaced the need for it. But the rider was something I was thinking about and it kind of fits this section of scripture that we're talking about. The Pony Express rider went through great sacrifice and suffering. He had to travel constantly at a gallop and uh, was only allowed to stop to bounce from one horse to another. I don't know how long it's been since you rode a horse, but, you know, horses, I'm good for about 20 minutes on a horse once a year, and uh, these guys would do it 100 miles was a normal trip for them. So they had to change horses at least four times, all at a dead gallop. And they had a a little tiny satchel of tin of flour, cornmeal, and bacon in case their horse died underneath them or something around the middle of nowhere. And they had a little medicine kit that was worth absolutely nothing by today's standards. But in order to stay light, they didn't wear any jacket. They were in shirt sleeves, crossing the Rocky Mountains in shirt sleeves on the back of a horse. Of course, when you're pushing that hard at a full gallop, I guess you're probably warm enough So I went through that whole thing and I said, how did they ever get anybody to join up? How could you possibly recruit someone for that kind of an endeavor? Well, I found an original Pony Express ad from the 1860 San Francisco Chronicle. It reads this way, wanted young, skinny, wiry fellows. (laughs) Save the horse, right? Not over 18. Lots of stamina needed, obviously. Must be expert riders willing to risk daily. You could add the word their lives in there. And then the clincher at the end of it, orphans preferred. (laughs) Oh, that's not good. (laughs) What's interesting about it, at least according to this article, they had a long waiting list of guys who wanted to be riders an attractiveness to that great sacrifice because of the cost. Now, that's the part that caught me in this section of Scripture. The the spiritual dimension is the same kind of challenge that they were dealing with. For every person who becomes a believer, can you stay focused? Can you stay on course? There's a thousand distractions coming along towards you in the body of Christ as you join up, as you're recruited by God because God chooses and he chose you to be a believer. 
But as you go through that, there's all these opportunities to go sideways. It's hard to stay in the center of the road. It's hard to keep your goal in mind, which is eternity. That's the challenge. And it was a challenge almost 2,000 years ago to this young church in Thessalonia, the same as it is for us today. Now, they were facing something we don't, strong opposition. Paul had already written to them that Jesus would keep them from the tribulation, those seven years that are coming to the earth. In chapter 1, verse 10 of the first letter, he said, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And Paul also already told them that God didn't want them to face the wrath during this tribulation. In chapter 5, verse 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. But somehow, after his letter was there, other people came. Other letters arrived, one of them purportedly from Paul, that said that they had missed it. <laughs> the day of the Lord had already come. And so they were struggling with this great question. Did they, in fact, miss the return of Jesus Christ? So the Thessalonians are confused, and Paul writes this letter to show them that they're not in the tribulation. They're just suffering persecution before that. So this section breaks up into three parts. It has a grace opening, verse 1 and 2, and then a grace closing, 11 and 12. But sandwiched in between are some very difficult verses about faith growing in the middle of suffering and persecution. So you probably, if you're visiting this morning, you should have picked another Sunday, but let's jump in and see what God might say to us about suffering and growing in faith. Verse 1, Paul, Silvanius, which is Silas, we know, and Timothy, to the church, the ecclesia of the called out ones, the assembly of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So to God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, notice it's in God and in Jesus. Paul was very clear as he wrote and evidently as he preached and taught about the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God. Notice God the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ the Lord, are two people, and Paul's initial converts were mostly Jewish. So he adds, because he didn't want them to think this was a Jewish assembly, he introduces them, to them in most of his letters the same way, that it was a gathering in the name of Jesus. It wasn't a Jewish synagogue. It was a church set aside for God the Son. Now, Paul will continue in this letter to bring up this concept of the deity of Jesus, the Trinity, and it becomes very clear by the time we finish it. Verse 2, grace, grace. Great word. Know this word if you don't. Become familiar with it. Wrap your arms around it. <laughs> Make it yours. Own it. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a familiar opening that we saw in the first letter. Now, we believe the first letter is the earliest one that Paul wrote in his many letters. This is identical with the greeting in the first one, except our Father instead of the Father. He makes it clear that our Father is in heaven, our heavenly Father. But he uses this formula, grace and then peace, because those were two greetings in the world that he grew up in. You're tuned to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, who's leading us verse by verse through the Bible. Now with more on this greeting, grace and peace, 
from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. Once again, here's Pastor Ed. Paul was from a, a Greek-speaking city, Tarsus, but he was Jewish. So we combined the two greetings. The Jews, of course, said shalom, as they still do to this day, but those who were Greeks said charis. Now, karen is the normal Greek greeting, so charisis is stronger. It's, it's the gift word, that it is a gift from God. That's his point, that God has gifted you with every good thing, that it's undeserved, that it's unmerited. It's not something that any person can earn, but it's available for every person. So Paul said, may God's grace flow on your lives. As you sit here this morning, would you be receptive to receive from God? Not, not from me, but from God, this overflowing grace, this abounding grace that he talks about over and over again. The Greek word literally means exquisite beauty, strong word, God's empowering presence in your life, in my life, to be what I'm supposed to be, to do what I'm supposed to do. He gets the glory for it. He gets the credit for it because he's doing the work in us. Greeks greet one another, and Jews greet one another, so Paul puts these two together. The shalom of peace really means harmony, wholeness, completeness. It means prosperity, and it means tranquility. It's a big word. It means everything that brings rest to your soul, may it be yours. Great greeting. So the grace of God is first, peace is second, because the grace of God leads to the peace of God. You can't have the peace of God without the grace of God is his point. If you try and earn a gift, it is no longer a gift. It becomes a wage. So he has a gift for you, for me, called grace. Paul reminds them of that. And then he says, faith, second section, verse three. We are bound, obliged to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. So Paul says, I'm bound by obligation because I've already said in his first letter, 518, in everything give thanks. I'm giving God thanks. And you've done an amazing thing, he's saying to them, because your faith is growing. Faith must grow. Faith is something that is a gift given to us. We've looked at Romans chapter 12, verse 3. It says, to each person is given a measure of faith, meaning a different amount of faith. It comes to us into our lives, and mine's different. I have a different amount of faith than you do. You have a different amount of faith than the person sitting next to you. But it is something that comes from God, so you can't take credit for it, but it is supposed to grow. And as we've read in Romans 10 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the Word of God. So even as you're sitting here this morning, even if you're not a believer, God is slipping something in. <laughs> He's slipping some faith into your heart, into your life, into your mind. In its simplest form, faith is believing God will do what He says He will do. Romans 4.20, speaking about Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and to being fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able also to perform. That's faith. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. 
Faith is like a seed planted in your heart and mind. God plants it, and then he waters it. And sometimes it springs up at unexpected times, but at an appointed time. And it may happen early in life. It may happen midway. It may happen towards the end of life. But God puts this faith there and then gives you a harvest of what you need spiritually in your life. Colossians 2.6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it, overflowing in it with thanksgiving. So rooted, it's, it's a seed, built up, you're growing, established, unmoved by the winds, the storms of life, and abounding, going out to other people. Your faith and my faith must be growing. That's really the characteristic of faith. The believer's walk is very much like riding a bicycle. Now, with most of us on a bicycle, you either have to keep going forward or you fall down. Now, I, I watch some of the guys out here at the light when the light turns, and they're, they're balancing their bike, and I've got this little mean streak that kind of smirks every time one of them falls over, but I, that's probably just jealousy on my part that I can't balance it that long. But the idea is that you have to keep going in faith just like you have to keep going in a bicycle to stay upright. Growth is also hard to see in the moment. In other words, if you try and look at your life and the faith in your life this week from last week, you can't see a difference. Mushrooms grow up overnight. Oak trees take longer. Your faith, my faith, takes a lifetime in reality, but you can't see it as you look back over a year or two or more. So servants of God grow slowly but surely. And also there are shortcuts to more faith, to growing faith. You can't, oh, I'm just going to go around that difficulty. No, in fact, that difficulty is the thing that allows faith to grow. That's where Paul is going with this. Jesus said that even a little bit of faith can move mountains. The size of a mustard seed can move huge things. It doesn't take much faith to do mighty things in the kingdom of God. That's his point. But we have to be growing. Faith, we're hearing it. It comes into us. So all of us in this room are growing this morning. You will leave this place differently than the way you came in. Can you see it? No, but it will happen. Faith is the vertical response to grace. What? Faith, my faith growing, yours growing, is the natural response vertically from God's grace coming into our lives. I couldn't see God's grace at first. I, I didn't understand it. I knew I didn't deserve salvation, that I was a horrible sinner that God had rescued, but I didn't see it going on in my life every day. Now I see it all day long, every day, that God is pouring into my life grace. Paul says abounding more and more, and the word means super growing. It's like that seed of faith was put in the Thessalonians, and then somebody put miracle grow on it or some kind of root hormone so that it exploded into faith, more faith. Their confidence and trust in Jesus was flourishing like a healthy garden. It's necessary to keep moving and to recognize our need and not become too satisfied with where you are. Philip Brooks, I was reading a pastor, wrote this about growth. He said, bad will be the day for every person when they become absolutely content with the life that they're living, with the thoughts that they're thinking, with the deeds that they're doing, when there is not forever meeting at the doors of their souls some great desire to do something new and larger, which we know 
that we were meant and made to do because we are still children of God. So there's a certain part of this life for a believer that is dissatisfied. There's a certain incompleteness in this life because we know this world is not our home and we're eventually going to someplace better. Then he says, the love of every one of you is abounding. And this is the Greek word agape, agapos. It's a selfless kind of love. Literally, it says, the love of each one of you all for one another abounds. Their love towards each other was a miracle. This is selfless love. This is, I want to do something for the other person for their good. Constantly, people I don't know, that's a miracle. So God changes this so that we find fulfillment in helping other people. He says abounding love, and the word comes from a picture of a stream that's overflowing, a river that's blown out its banks at springtime, that it, it can't any longer be contained in its normal boundaries. That's what love happens to do to your life and mine, that it keeps increasing, and we find ourselves spending more and more time helping others. So God is looking for us to flourish in our faith that he gives us, and then he waters it and causes it to grow. So that we ourselves, verse 4, Paul, boasts of you, proud of you among the churches of God. I talk about the Thessalonian churches, they're doing so good, because of your patience and faith. And he ties these two together. That faith grows because it's patient in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Hmm. Can we skip the persecutions and tribulation stuff, Lord? No. Simple answer, we can't. There's a gap between when God says he's going to do something in your life and then it happens. That is the nurturing ground, the environment for faith to grow in your life and in mine. I don't like that gap. My flesh doesn't like it. I like to get this thing done, move on to the next step. But it's that very pause that requires patience in my life that causes my faith to be strengthened because faith is like a muscle. You have to use it to make it grow, to make it strong. We talked about Abraham. I read you the verse that Paul wrote about Abraham's faith. And you remember the story that Abraham was told by God late in his life, 75, that he's going to have a son. And he said, wow, that's amazing, God. That's wonderful. But then nothing happened for years. And finally, his wife, Sarah, who was excited about having a son too, but, you know, kind of lost interest, said, I'm an old lady now. God wants us to have a son. You must have misunderstood. Why don't you make a son with my handmaid, Hagar? Abraham said, okay, sounds good to me. And he had a son named Ishmael. And then 13 years after, God came to him again and said, Abraham, you're going to have a son. <laughs> and Abraham argued with God. Not that any of us, of course, would do that. But he said, uh, well, as the Lord lives, may you bless Ishmael. You know, you were taking an awful long time, God, so I took care of your problem. And I created a son, so would you please bless Ishmael? You ever prayed for God to bless one of your messes? <laughs> oh, Lord, I couldn't wait for you. I knew you were busy doing, you know, there's seven billion people on the earth. You got other things to do, and so I'll just take care of it for you. Would you bless it now? <laughs> no? <laughs> oh. And so now we have the Arab Jewish problem that has gone on for 4,000 years because of his little help to God. So don't help God. That's the whole point of this thing. 
but the idea of faith that God doesn't forget in the gap that patience is supposed to grow. Pastor Ed Ray is our Bible teacher here on Grow in Grace, and we're studying First and Second Thessalonians right now on the weekends. Get today's study on CD by calling us toll-free at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. You can also listen to the program online at thepackinghouse.org. And again, we're at thepackinghouse.org. We don't like to make a big deal about it, but we are listener-supported ministry. And for those of you that sense God is calling you to take part in the ministry through a financial gift, we'd like to say thanks by sending you Jesus Style by Gail Irwin. When Jesus taught us that the greatest must become like a servant, what was he driving at? Well, we find the answer by studying the life of Jesus and his style of ministry. It's totally opposite to our natural leanings, so we'll need some help. Receive a copy of Jesus Style today, and again, we'll send it your way for a gift of any amount to grow in grace. Give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And then join us back here next time for Grow in Grace as we return to our studies in the New Testament. In the meantime, let's keep looking to Jesus as we grow in grace. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your love.